Can you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 17? Um, man, what a, what a great uh, opportunity we have to worship God together. I, I love um, just the opportunity. Sometimes here on stage, uh, we don't always get to hear the congregation, but uh, like on Sunday nights, I'm down here, and Brother Tony's leading us, and get to hear everybody singing. And uh, just a while ago, I was able to take the ears out and, and hear everybody singing. Man, that's a special thing for us to be able to sing together and exalt God's name. Uh, we were talking about this morning before, um, just the, or Brother Tony was sharing during our uh, praise team devotion, um, just about the amazing uh, day it's going to be when we're in the presence of God, His, His manifest presence, and uh, just singing those songs um, for eternity. So, uh, thank you again for being here. If you're a guest, I want to say thank you for being here. We're going through this study in Acts, and we are just going to continue to plug along through this. So many great lessons we've learned along the way. the way. Last week we talked about two important ones again, I think. Uh, the first one was we are in a battle against a relentless enemy. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know uh, that's the truth. The enemy does not like to stop. He does not give up. Uh, he doesn't grow faint of heart. I don't think Satan ever gets to the point where he's like, oh man, I think he's just, I think he's devoted to uh, doing what he does best, and that's kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, we talked about how he's the father of lies. Man, Satan is so crafty at getting people to be deceived. And I think even the people of God, we can become susceptible to the lies of the enemy. And uh, whether they be, a, you know, a mental thing or, or emotional thing or even a spiritual thing, um, he's really good at what he does, and he doesn't stop. He's a relentless enemy. But, but the good thing, the good news we saw was point number two, we're in a battle alongside an unstoppable victor. And so, again, we have to remember, first of all, I think, as Christians, Satan is the enemy. And it's interesting that we can become uh, infatuated, we can become distracted, we can forget that truth, that Satan is actually the enemy. And Paul had to remind the Ephesians of this. When he wrote Ephesians, he, he said in chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, the battle's not with each other, and, and that's, the, that's some of the things that we see in the spiritual attacks that Satan wages on the church is the church, the people of God, begin to look you know, at each other and, and attack each other or, or have division or whatever the case may be. And uh, we have to remember, man, we're supposed to be in this together. Uh, we're called a, a body. We're supposed to be a family and, and, and working together alongside this unstoppable victor. And uh, we have to remember that Satan's going to do everything that he can to do this. Uh, we've talked about this many times before, that Satan loves to distract us. He's easy. He, he, he finds that easy, I think. Um, if you've ever read uh, uh, C.S. Lewis's um, screw tape letters, such a, such a great um, kind of insight into uh, Satan's work and the demonic uh, work out there. And, and, and many times, if, if you read that book, you know, he, he talks about, well, just, just kind of leave them alone right now. <laughs> you know, they're doing a good job of being distracted and, and busied with themselves. And so he'll, he'll do everything he can to distract. But I think he ultimately wants to take us down that path from distraction to being discouraged and even being divided as the people of God. He wants to continue down that path until we're destroyed. And uh, that's his, his desire to destroy anything in and through the church. And so we have the responsibility that we saw last week to be alert to be aware that this is Satan's job, this is what he lo loves to do. And so we have to give every effort to reject his attempts as we cling to Christ, that unstoppable victor. And uh, I think it's important that we remember that we're in this together. 
Uh, man, so, so, so important is, is that truth going to be in the days and the years to come, I believe. As we inch closer to the Lord's return, we're going to see how vital it is that the people of God stay united in, in this battle. And so this morning we move forward and see this second missionary journey continue on. Paul, if you remember, had been evacuated uh, from Berea. And the reason why he had to be evacuated from Berea is because the, the Jews that were in Thessalonica heard that he was doing the same thing in Berea. And so they chased him down in Berea. He had to get out of Berea. And uh, he made it all the way to Athens. And this is where we pick up uh, the study in Acts chapter six, uh, 17, verse 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. And listen to these, the reason why it was provoked. When he saw that the city was given over to idols... Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the uh, Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we, do, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new or hear some new thing. Which is interesting, right? Look at, look at verse 21. They spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. We thought that TikTok and Facebook and Instagram was a new thing. These people were all about it uh, in the first century. And again, it just proves that nothing new is under the, under, the, uh, under the sun. But they were spending all their time in nothing other than something, hearing something or telling something new. Um, so again, this kind of frames our, our context this morning. Uh, I want to pray once again and, and jump into what God has. Father, thank you once again for this time. Thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you. And we pray now that your word is spoken and is preached, Lord, in a way that honors you. Lord, that your word uh, goes forth and accomplishes what you want to accomplish. If there's somebody here today, Lord, uh, that doesn't have a relationship with you, they're not saved, they're not on their way to heaven, they can't sit there in that seat and say 100% that they know without a shadow of a doubt they're going to heaven. If there's somebody like that, I pray before they leave, that they would surrender their life to you today. They would understand how much you love them, what you did to show that love, and sending Christ to die on a cross for their sins, for all of our sins. That he rose again on the third day so that we could have a relationship with you forever. And Lord, I pray that you would just move in that way, move in the hearts of your people in this place as well. God, help us to understand the importance of grabbing hold of these truths and living them out in our lives. And we'll praise you for that too, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this section of scripture. You know, Paul is, is waiting on, on the team to show up there in Athens, and, and he's on the run, if you will. There, there's a lot of pressure on the ministry team, on the missionary team. And uh, as he's waiting there, he sees a city, the Bible says, that's full of idolatry. And if you saw, as we read that verse, it said that he was provoked because of the idolatry. The word in the Greek here for provoked means to exasperate, uh, to, be, to be irritated or to be frustrated, to be stirred up. 
It's used one other place in the New Testament. As I was studying and, and just kind of was honing in on this word, and I thought, well, I wonder how often that this word frustrated or irritated or stirred up or provoked is used. And it's used one other time. And you know where it's used? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Some of you know what that verse says. It says that love is not easily irritated. Love is not easily provoked. Love is not easily stirred up. And so again, we understand what this, this means. It's not that Paul was not loving the Athenians because we know he did. He was there to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we see that he was stirred up, that he was frustrated, he was irritated because of the sin that was prevalent. And that was obviously deceiving and controlling the city there. That's what he said, that's what the Bible says he was stirred up for. He was, he was frustrated, he was irritated because there was gross idolatry going on in this great city of Athens, uh, the major city there in, 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 in Greece. We know that the Bible tells us that idolatry is sin. But what, what's interesting about this is the Bible says that this city was, that's all, they were, they were full of it. They were full of idolatry. And so when Paul sees this, when he sees that this, this whole culture is saturated with idolatry, he's stirred up, he's irritated, he's frustrated. Again, the Ten Commandments tell us we're not to have any idols in our life, not to make a graven image, not to have any gods before God. He tells us we're not to covet what others have. Again, idolatry, Exodus chapter 20. We know that God is the only one worthy of worship, the only one worthy of our complete affection and attention because he alone is God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Jesus answered this in Luke chapter 4 when he was tempted of Satan, verse 8. He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So here in Athens, this major problem existed. It wasn't that they had some things they worshiped like everyone else. I want you to get the picture here. Athens was the religious center of Greece. And that religion was based on every deity that they could have in their, in, their, in their lives. Paul viewed Athens basically as a city of lost humanity, all doomed to a Christless eternity because of this rampant pagan idolatry. They were, they were idolizing every false deity that, that existed on the earth. It was the center, it was the epicenter of all of that. There in Athens, this city was given over to false worship, to false idolatry, and it was all over the city. And I don't know if you're kind of, if the Spirit has kind of provoked your heart a little bit already. The picture that was, that's painted here in Scripture, I believe, is similar to what picture is painted in our world today. I would say even and especially in America. Time wouldn't permit me to list all of the idolatry that we live in that is all around us that saturates us, that controls us even at times from sex and entertainment to sports, money, drugs, fame, lies, deception, power, murder. You see, all the, those are sins, but, but idols, things that people bow down to, things that people worship. We live in a dark world. 
exalting graven images, bowing down to them. As I said before, too often, even among professing Christians, the world has more power to control our lives often than the things of God. The things of God being His Word, His church, His mission. The world has the control. It says, you will be here and you will do this at this time. And if it means sacrificing the things of God, even the people of God can't say no. Gone seems to be the days when the majority of the people of God had it reversed. When the world says you will be here and do this at this time, the people of God says we will not because we are doing this for God. People of God have maybe bowed down to the graven images as well. But I won't be able to experience this or my kids won't be able to do this or do that. And in this we forget how transient this world is. How temporal. But how eternal the things of God are. I'm not here to depress or discourage or, or anything like that. But simply remind us not to live with our heads in the sand. Paul, the Bible says, saw the condition of the city. He saw that, that something was going on in that city that he wasn't a part of and that was, that was grossly ungodly, that was, that was, you know, taking people away from being able to worship the one true God. And so it provoked him, it stirred him, it frustrated him. And I believe that for us as the people of God, we should look around at the idolatry that even maybe we're a part of, and that should frustrate us. That should irritate us and, 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 and provoke our spirit inside of us like it did for, for Paul. His, his head was out of the sand. And I believe once our heads are out of the sand, not, again, not to be depressed about the condition or the state of the world that we live in, but stirred and even spiritually frustrated. Again, spiritually irritated. How, how irritated, how spiritually irritated are you at the gross idolatry that surrounds us that maybe even is, is, is choking in on your life as a child of God, how frustrated do you get with that? Do you ever find yourself, because the world is telling you will do this and you will do this and you will do this now, and it, it doesn't matter if there's something of the things of God going on, you will do this because we are in control. And how often do you feel that stranglehold on your neck and say, man, I'm tired of this, or do you? And I'm not talking about just belly aching or gropping about it, but stirred to do something. Paul saw the gross idolatry, he saw the rampant idolatry all throughout the city, controlling the people, again, uh, choking out the, the, the truth, the gospel, that there is one true God. He saw it, and, and he knew that something had to happen. And so point number one for us this morning is this, sinfulness in our world should stir, or we could, you could use the word frustrate, should frustrate our spirit and urge us to do something. And we should look around and, 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 and say, man, I... I, I, don't, I don't know what I can do, but I want to do something. Because I, I'm, so, I'm so frustrated, I'm so disheartened by the, the, the great sinfulness and the great idolatry that's going on. And again, it's crept into my life, it's crept into our family's life, it's crept into the, chi the children of God, the family of God's life. Again, Acts chapter 17, verse 16, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked with him, within him. He was, he was irritated, he was stirred, he was frustrated when he saw the city was given over to idols. And look at verse 17, the very next word says this, therefore, in light of the fact that this was the condition, in light of the fact that he was frustrated at the idolatry, it says, he went and reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers in the marketplace daily, 
Every day he was there with those who happened to be there. In light of the sinfulness, he talked to them. In light of the sinfulness, he went to them. In light of the sinfulness, he talked to all of them. The word reasoned here means that he discussed it thoroughly, and, and it has an even uh, broader meaning uh, in, in, in our context today. I think that we get it me- messed up, but in that context, in, in, the, in the, uh, the, the Greek world at that point in time, there's a lot of philosophy, a lot of debate. It was just a culture. But it means that. It means to discuss something even to the, to the point of disputing or debating. But again, it's not about arguing or fighting. Oftentimes we think, well, I'm just having a discussion with somebody, and we, we blast it on Facebook. That, that's not necessarily how, how it works. Or we put something out there on, on, on Twitter or whatever, and, 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 and it turns into this debate or this argument, not, not debate like we're reading in Scripture, but it turns into this argument and this fighting that causes harm and division even in the body. But this 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 something that Paul did went and had this debate, went and had this discussion with them, and he was sharing the truth with them. In this culture that they lived in, 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 in Greece at the time, facilitated this type of discourse. It was what they were used to. It was what they did so that they could learn at a higher level. And the question that I have with this is if the lost Grecian world would be open for discussion why do we not do this? Even among Christians, I believe one reason is sadly common discourse has taken a disqualification in the public arena. You can't just have a discussion with somebody. You can't just have a conversation with somebody. Cancel culture. You can't even have a different thought or opinion And especially if you're going to share something religious, you turn into a hater and a bigot. So often when we're stirred, we move. I do something. When I get frustrated with something, I absolutely do it. But so often we do that, and we do it in an emotional state only. And so what ends up happening is we begin to spew emotional feelings. And so often we don't have a discussion. It's a one-sided thing. We all can be guilty of it. But another negative thing is we often don't share what we should when we are stirred. We're good at sharing emotions. We're good at sharing our opinions. We're good at at, at sharing and spewing and doing all those kind of things, but we often don't share what we should. And we know that there are those who misuse scripture and the gospel to further their emotional agenda and opinion and oh man have we seen that in our culture recently (laughs) people can use scripture and misuse scripture and miss uh, and abuse it uh, just to fit something that works for their thought process or their opinion or their position and and it just is a, a a gross abuse of scripture but it was simple for in our script in our in our text here paul was frustrated he was stirred because of the idolatry And his response, what did he do? He did something. But what specifically did he do? Again, Paul, I'm sure, had opinions. Paul, of course, had emotions. But he did something very specific, and that's point number two in our notes. Sharing the gospel is the something we should do. And when we do this, we need to know that it will be rejected and ridiculed by many. 
They say, yeah, but what if, what, if it, what if it's happening in the church? Well, woe to us if it's happening in the church. We're, we're the ones that's wrong if, if, if the division, if the debate, if the fighting, if the arguments happening in the church. And we need to go back and read 1 Corinthians. And I want to encourage you if, you, if you have something going on in your heart and there's some type of divisiveness or some type of odd or some type of argument, go back and read 1 Corinthians. Go back and read Matthew. See what Jesus said that, we sh- that you should do. Go back and read 1 Corinthians, and, and you can see the reason why the, the Corinthian church was being hindered is because there was fighting, there was division, there, was, there, was, there were things that were keeping it back from being everything that God had designed that church to be. And it still happens today. But for us as the people of God, it's vital that we're prepared to share the gospel in an idolatrous culture just like Paul was here in Athens. That should be our something. So I, I want to do something, Brother Kyle. I mean, I get sick and tired of all the idolatry. I get sick and tired of my kids with dealing with it, my grandkids dealing with it. I get sick and tired of all this stuff, this idolatry. I get sick and tired of me being pulled into it. I am sick. So what, what do I should do? I'm already saved. How can I do something and preach the gospel myself? We'll get to that in just a second. But it's important that we are not only prepared to share the gospel, but that we're equally prepared to face the ridicule when we do. We read this last week, I believe, and, and I'm going to read it again in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you were slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Again, we talked about it last week. Paul and his team kept going. They kept sharing, even though it brought so much pain and risk to their lives. Again, I think that, that most of us in this place, because we've never faced persecution, because we've never faced a, a public stripping and a public beating and an imprisonment, because we were sharing the gospel, I think that if any of us experienced just a sliver of what Paul did because of the condition and the world that we live in, many of us would pull back from our Christian faith. I'm not saying depart, but pull back from. But it brought pain and, and, and produced more risk for their lives. Every step they took forward in faith, every step they took forward in sharing the gospel and, and being obedient to the commission and being obedient to the Spirit's direction, every step they, they, they took forward, it, it caused more pain and it put their lives at more risk. And, and it just makes me wonder, man, what, how do our lives match up with that? Do they line up at all with that type of faith? Or are we looking for ways to, to face less risk well, I don't, I don't want to really face that. Again, Paul faced maybe what most of us will face in the course of trying to be a witness for Christ, and, and that didn't hinder him either. You know, we may not suffer the physical harm that Paul and his team were, was facing and that they would go through. I think maybe if you've been a Christian for any amount of time in this place, or for an extended period of time maybe, you face something like what Paul is facing here, and that was ridicule, right? Look what they said. They called him a babbler, and that word has a broader meaning than just what we think is babbler. Somebody just, you know, is babbling on, babbling on. You're on the phone, and you're like, 
They're just babbling on, you know. I mean, it does, it does have that um, connotation to it, but it has a broader meaning than just a babbler. The special meaning that's implied here in the Greek word means not only babbling nonsense, but it also means a seed picker. Yeah, a seed picker? That's another word that they used in, in the time to be a loafer or to be an idler. Somebody who made their living from picking up scraps. It's known, if, if you've studied Scripture and in, in, uh, you've been in this church, that Paul made tents when he could. He didn't have a job on the road. Uh, he was supported by churches, and he made tents when he needed to. He relied on the provision of God, which is all of its provision from God. But he's attacked on this personal level for being a moocher. He's attacked on this personal level for, for going out and, and, and preaching the gospel and, and going from city to city to preach Jesus Christ. And, and, and here he shows up in Athens and he's probably staying in someone's house or, or he's staying in, in a borrowed place or something. He doesn't have a job. And these, 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 these uh, you know, uh, knowledge elites, these people who are smart and, 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 and successful in the world, they, they see this guy come in and he's reasoning with them and like, who is this guy? This moocher, this loafer, this idler comes into our city and, and, he, and he's telling us we got it all wrong. Who does he think he is? And so he's attacked on this personal level. And I think for most men, this is difficult because we're wired to work. Now, yes, men can get lazy. Oh, I thought there would be some amens there. <laughs> no, I'll just... <laughs> but the truth is, is that as, as men... Um, I think if you're a, a man, you feel kind of useless if you're not actually trying to fix something or do something. I think that's also why we can get in trouble in our marriages, right? Sometimes we're just supposed to be, and there's some amens. <laughs> we're supposed to sometimes just be. Sometimes we're just supposed to, to, to listen, to be present instead of trying to fix and solve, right? And that can be difficult for guys like just tell me what to do, and we'll make it right. <laughs> but Paul is being attacked for being lazy, for being a babbling fool because he was sharing the gospel with them. Think about that. He was sharing the good news with them. But it spoke to the truth then that still exists now. In Matthew chapter 7, it says this, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. There's a broad gate that a lot of people are going through. And those people who are going through that broad gate are going to be facing the wrath of God for all of eternity. And there's only few that find, it th find their way through that gate that's small and the, narrow, and the way that's narrow. Many people will reject the gospel. Many people will reject Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God, for it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater? There's that, that, that culture. Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world through its wisdom did not come to know God. 
God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message, the gospel, preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews, they ask for signs. And Greeks, they search for wisdom. They debate and they, they, they seek for more knowledge. But we, it's simple. We preach Christ crucified. And what that is is a stumbling block to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Look what this says. It's foolishness. What were they calling Paul? This babbling fool. You're a babbling fool. They were Greeks. They were, they were Gentiles, and, and, and they were seeking this higher knowledge in their, in their debate center. And, and when Paul was preaching them the simple message of the gospel, Jesus Christ, him crucified, risen from the grave, they called him a fool. They called him a babbling idler. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were... There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the, despi and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became us, became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Many might think that the gospel, the good news, isn't the solution. Well, I mean, I mean I'm having this discussion with this person at work. I'm having this discussion with this person at my, uh, in my family. Or I'm having this discussion with this person online. The, the gospel isn't necessarily the, the answer to it. It's not, the, it's not the answer to these issues in life. But we need to remember that the gospel speaks to the greatest need of all mankind. And so it rises above and supersedes every temporal issue and attack. You look in the world today and say, what's wrong with the world today? Well, there's, there's hate and there, there's, there's war and there's idolatry and there, there's this and there's that. Listen, it speaks to the greatest need of all mankind. Because it alone can bring the hope beyond this temporal life with its issues and even with its attacks. The gospel, the good news, says this. Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. So what's wrong? How are we going to make it through this? What are we going to do? What's, what's the answer to it? I, I will tell you the answer for all of mankind is Jesus. It's not a better economy. It's not a better government. It's not, the answer is Jesus. When the hearts, it's, well, when are we going to end racism? When the whole world gets saved. <laughs> that, that's when it happens. Why? Because it's sin. When are we going to end uh, greed? When are we going to end murder? When are we going to end ab abortion? Listen, they're all sin. Jesus is the answer. He's the solution. And I believe you and I, as the people of God, must do something in this world while we have time. And that something is very specifically sharing the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you sharing the good news with? Who have you shared it with recently? If your answer this morning is no one, then be challenged. There's idolatry and there's need and there's people. You see what Paul did? He went there to the place where he could find both religious people, and then he went where he knew he would find lost people. He went to the marketplace, the Bible says daily. 
every day. Every single day he was looking to try to share the gospel with somebody. We get so frustrated. We get so irritated. We get so flustered. And, and, and man, we, we, we can gripe with the best of them about how bad our world is and, and how wrong and, and how off our nation is. And we can, we can look at the gas price and, you know, you can pull up to the gas pump. And after you, you know, put half a tank in your gas, you'd be like, oh, I'm so frustrated. But he said, but yeah, but that, that's just because bad politics. No, look, Jesus is the answer. So I just wish I could do something. You can. You can do the greatest thing that any one person can do on this earth. Any one person. You know what that is? Bear the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost person, to the lost world. Who are you sharing the gospel with? Man, if you haven't shared the gospel with somebody recently, I encourage you. And, and, and it doesn't always have to be that full-on conversation. You may give them a gospel tract. You've been encouraging them to read that gospel track. You're going to be giving them an invite card and telling them about our church and saying, hey, you know, I, I want to invite you to this. There's also a website you can go to. Who are you sharing the gospel with? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're frustrated with the condition of our nation or if you're frustrated with the condition of our world. If you're frustrated with what's going on that you see, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I believe the majority of us in this place would say, yeah, I, I'm frustrated with this or I'm frustrated with that. We may not be able to change all the world in one fell swoop, but we can reach one person at a time. If you're here this morning and you haven't received that free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, today can be that day for you. But you have to choose it. Here's the message that Paul preached to an idolatrous culture. Verse 22 says this, so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects, religious people. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world in his and, and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Hey, this is the gospel. Hey, you, you want to talk about racism and race issues today? There you go. It's done. Solved. <laughs> He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations. It's amazing. And, and here's the reason, that they would all seek God. If perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. And I, I can imagine Paul talking to them and pointing to some of the idols that they had crafted out of stone and precious metals and wood and, and these idols to these false deities. 
He said he's not like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the thought of man. It's not at all like that. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed. Having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. You can imagine, kind of picture it in your head. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some of the men joined him, joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, Cius, and, uh, and I'm sorry, the Aeropagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with him. The title of today, if we were doing titles and themes, the title could have been Do Something. In, in light of the idolatrous culture, in light of the sinful culture, in light of the condition of the world we live in, do something. And the truth is this, we may not all be able to stand there in Athens on Mars Hill, and of course we can't go back 2,000 years and do it. We may not even be able to stand in front of rulers we, not, we may not be able to stand in front of Congress. We may not ever speak on a TV where thousands or millions of people will hear the gospel through our voice. But please hear this this morning. We can share with one. And we can be eternally intentional now, today. They said, God's given me life. Just as Paul said, in him we live and move and breathe. We have nothing. He gives, to all, he gives us all things. And so we should do something. And that something should be sharing the gospel. It's the best thing that we can speak. It's the best thing that we can live out. As I said a while ago, he said, well, how does this apply to the church? And, 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 and if, there's, if there's a disconnect or if there's a divide in the church, how does it apply in the church? Philippians chapter 1 and I'll be done. Only let your manner of life talking to Christians, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are all standing firm in one spirit. You're united. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by, in anything by your opponents. The people who oppose you, the, the, the people who try to stop you, the people who are not on, on your side, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, that they're not on the right side. But it's a clear sign for you of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now you still hear that I have. Do something. When's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time you handed out a tract? I'm frustrated with the world that we're living in. I'm frustrated with the things that we're seeing, we're experiencing. I'm frustrated with the stuff all around us, and I'm sure many of you are too. What can we do? Let's share the gospel. Let's start there. The most important, the, the greatest privilege we have as human beings on this earth is to bear the glorious good news of Jesus Christ to a world in need. Let's do something. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. Again, Lord, thank you for this message and this reminder. Lord, thank you for this challenge. Lord, we know that it is obvious. We live in a world that's full of idolatry, in, a, in, a, in an idolatrous world that has even permeated your people. 
sadly. Sadly, we, we bow down to things in this world so often. We neglect the things of God. We sacrifice the things of God to bow down at the altar of the world. And I can't imagine how that hurts your heart, knowing how much you love us, or at least trying to grasp how much you loved us and sending Christ to die in our place, give us eternal life, give us home with you forever, never having to worry about damnation or destruction or judgment because of what you did for us. And Lord, we take that gift and we just maybe bury it in the world like the foolish servant did. Help us not live like that. God, help us to use every day, every opportunity, everything we can to be used up for your kingdom. Lord, help us to be passionate. Help us to be compassionate. Lord, help us be motivated to share the gospel with the world in need. Lord, I pray you just move now as we respond and help us respond rightly in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to encourage you to come.